once everyone's on the same page, it's just a matter of being persistent, pounding on the deal until until you get to the finish line. Really, yeah. that's that's the best solution that I find. episode of Building Prosperity with Commercial Real Estate. I'm your host, Gary Tsungu, and today we have Michael Green on the show. Mike, thank you for being on. Thanks for having me, Gary. It's a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure is all mine, my friend. So, Mike, you have over seven years of experience in the industry, and you've helped over 2,000 clients with their financing and, and funding their various projects. Your background, however, is in photography and graphic design, and I can't wait to ask you about that transition. <laughs> But yeah. you obviously you work with investors, uh, uh, mainly with investors, and you help primarily to fund commercial and construction projects, uh, debt consolidation, purchases, and acquisition loans. And up to date, you have uh, funded just north of $100 million. But tell us a little bit more about yourself, a little bit about your background with uh, graphic design and how you got to, how you got to where, where you are today. Yeah, so... Um... A little bit about my story. Um, I started as a photographer a few years ago in Atlanta, Georgia. Then I uh, moved here to Canada, probably around 2015, around that time frame. And uh, I was looking to continue with my photography, but then got introduced to mortgages and, and um, financing. Uh, never had a job at the bank, never did any, any kind of job with numbers, you know, except for my, my photography business, you know, uh, other than that, really, you know, working with, with financing and numbers and clients um, was something brand new to me. So interestingly, how I got into it, my wife's best friend, her husband is a broker and he actually put the bug in, in, our, in my ear to say, hey, you know, you're a pretty dedicated person. Uh, why don't you give this a try? See how mm -hmm. it works out. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, it, it took me a while to, to consider it. Probably a few months I had to think about it, think about the transition. I wasn't really looking to leave photography and graphic design because, you know, I, I enjoyed doing that. That's what I love doing. But I wasn't taking it as serious as a business as I should have. You know, I, I didn't really understand the, the power of making it a true business that's scalable and that, that kind of kept me at a small scale. Right. Um, so, so before, when, when, you were, when you were thinking of getting into photography, what was it mm -hmm. about photography that sort of attracted you to it? And the reason why I asked that is because mm -hmm. there, there must have been something that helped you make the transition into mortgages when you looked at it, it's like, hey, you know what? Even though I'm not good with money, I might actually really, really enjoy this, if not more, just as much as I enjoy photography. That, that's a great question, Gary. And the simple answer is um, I, I didn't know if I was going to like it. What really mm -hmm. attracted me to mortgages was the fact that I work for myself. You know, I like the idea mm -hmm. of being an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. being able to control my own income, my, my, you know, my freedom, 
you know, work when I please, when I don't feel like working, I don't have to work, don't right, have a yeah. boss to answer to. That, that was what really attracted me to it. And yeah. the fact that there's no cap on the income, the income is dictated by how hard you want to work. And I love that. I love that concept. You know, yeah. it, it, it gave me the drive to really actually hound in on it. And I want to pursue it even more. So the same week that I decided that I want to do it, I put down my camera and honestly, I haven't picked it up since then. Oh, really? You didn't sell it, <laughs> did you? You didn't sell it? No, I still, I still have it. I still have okay. it. You know, uh, okay. I still have it. Um, you know, every once in a while, I'll, I'll go take some pictures just to kind of see if I still have my skills. Nice. My eyes for photography. Um, yeah, 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 but this journey has been a pretty interesting journey. And um, honestly, I, I wouldn't look back. Uh, yeah, there was there was something you mentioned about being a, an entrepreneur and being interested or being attracted to the mortgage business because it's got that entrepreneurial component where you can't we, we don't have to answer to clients. But then again, I would I would beg to differ you have you've had over 2000 clients and they're all sort of your bosses one way or another. I was going to say that yeah the clients are my bosses that's it I mean right. they're the only ones that I really have to please in a way let's say yeah. I yeah. and and yeah. and they hold me to the fire you know when when you're in finance it's 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 almost like being a parent right like you're responsible mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're being you're, you're being looked at as like hey I need you to make this project happen or to make this uh, acquire this, this land or this, you know, this mm -hmm. property here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the pressure is definitely on the, um, the broker who's right. Who's trying to fund that deal. You know, it, it's. Yeah. Yeah. What was it about your entrepreneurial sort of, sort of nature, or I should ask mm -hmm. better yet, how how did that come about like what what was it was it was it your, was it the environment that you were in in atlanta was there sort, sort of like a catalyst in your life that that sort of happened where it's like you know what i have to be my own boss yeah i mean that that's another great question interestingly enough um i've been my own boss for over for a pretty long time like 10 12 years like even in atlanta i was you know i decided that i wanted to pursue my own career do my own thing that's why I started the photography business, um, did that for a little while. And like I said, I wasn't taking it as serious enough to, to say, okay, I want to, you know, build a business to where I could scale it. Um, I just kind of kept it like, you know, just solo proprietor, mm -hmm. you know, doing everything mm -hmm. myself, you know, getting the clients, um, wasn't really doing ads or anything like that, you know, cause right. I didn't understand the power of it at the time. Right. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So, it, you know, that entrepreneurship has always been in me. Like I've, from a long time ago, I decided that I was going to be my own boss. Like, yeah, I hated, yeah. I hated the nine to five because honestly being, you're, you're being held responsible for things that really don't benefit you a whole lot. You know, mm -hmm. that position you're being, you, you know, you could be fired for something that's not even in your control, right? Right. And right. all that time, all that time you spent getting to that position is lost in yeah. in a matter of seconds, in a yeah. moment's notice. Yeah. And it's, you know? it's, it's funny you say that because time and time again, when you're in finance and when you have clients that 
are extremely tasking, um, you have to take, you have to have your fate in your own hands, like you said. Oh, right. For 100%. You, first of all, in finance, nothing is guaranteed. The only guarantees is what you put in your work, right? Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. amount of work you put into your file and uh, getting your client to that finish line will dictate how well you do on that transaction. You know, I'm a firm believer in that. I've seen lots of files look like it's not gonna work. And I just, you know, one thing that helps is knowing the process um, of, these, of these files and knowing what to expect and putting that expectation on your clients as well, right? So mm -hmm. once everyone's on the same page, it's just a matter of being persistent, pounding on the deal until until you get to the finish line. Really, yeah. that's that's the best solution that I find. Yeah. Now there's a dime a dozen sort of a dime a dozen career paths you could have taken. Right. There's a there's a lot of career paths you could have taken aside from aside from uh, mortgages or commercial financing, mm -hmm. um, but. Primarily, you know, this the show is about is about real estate, and so one one thing that I like to I like to learn about people is, I mean, for my for myself, I'll give myself an example. I was sort of uh, I was introduced to real estate out of necessity, not because I sort of wanted to. I was too young to understand what I, what I was doing, kind of helping out my dad, going to work with my dad. And I was, okay. I was like, okay, this is life. You know, this is my life now. I really can't, I can't, I don't have a say in on whether or not I, I, I go to work or not. And so that's sort of how right. I got into real estate. But out of all sort of the career paths that you chose, why, why, like you, you could have done, you could have, you could have, you could have done life insurance. You could have done any, you could have chosen any other industry. Why real estate? Um, another great question. And almost to, to mimic what you just said, the real estate aspect of it is what really intrigued me. The fact that um, you can build wealth, the wealth building aspect of it is what really attracted me. Um, before I started um, financing, you know, that wasn't even on my radar. Like, you know, knowing the fact that, okay, how am I gonna build wealth and prosperity to be able to pass it on to my daughter, you know? Right, and right. When, when I came, when I got to that crossroad, I realized, hey, I'm not getting younger. Um, right. I need to make a decision right now that's going to directly align with my goals where I want to be in the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. with, with just that single thought and, you know, being an entrepreneur, I decided, hey, this, this is where I, I should be. You know, it, it puts right. me in the position to network with a lot of um, industry professionals right right and i i see i see different stats about this from time to time where they whether it might be nine out of ten people or eight out of ten people that are billionaires or eight out of ten people that have attained financial freedom or have acquired you know have developed generational wealth or have or have developed um just wealth in itself they've done it through real estate now, regardless of what percentage that is, I hear eight out of 10, nine out of 10. One of the stats that I heard is that um, out of the top 100 Forbes list, eight out of 10 of those, eight out of the 10 top billionaires have made their wealth through real estate. And it's sort yeah. of it's sort of like the, the, the odds are on your side when you, when you choose real estate 
Um, I yeah. want to switch gears a little bit and talk to you specifically about some deals. So some deals that okay. you have experience with. I know, cool. I know, I know our listeners and our, our watchers uh, uh, listen to us because they, they want to they want to learn the ins and outs. Some of them are experienced, right. some of them are inexperienced. So tell us, tell us about a deal where it was uh, it was extremely difficult because the developer had sort of made a mistake and they could have sort of avoided either by calling you or by doing, you know, by being better prepared. What is sort of, you know, what was, what was your contribution towards the deal to help them get it across the finish line? You want to know about my successes on the deal or, be, or a you, difficult deal that I, I didn't get across the finish line? <laughs> you know what? Those are those are those are both learning learning experiences, right? Because okay. a lot of people, a lot of people, they 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 see you. It's like, oh wow! It's like that's that, that's that's a nice project. Like you're able, like you know that you were able to successfully complete that project. But nobody sees all the failures prior to that. Nobody sees it. They think it's sort of like an overnight success. But overnight successes take years to develop and years yeah. of mistakes. Like, yes, I don't think, yes. I don't think. It's don't only think overnight to the to the other person, right? Because they're yeah. seeing it for the first time. Yeah. yeah, it's like, wait, what? <laughs> and I have a funny story. I was actually, I was actually going to buy a business and I was there with my friend and mm. I was, I, I had gone to meet with, uh, with an advisor and we were standing outside and there was a lot of development happening around. And he was sort of, he, he was standing outside admiring all the development happening in the area, all the construction projects. And he was like, Gary, you know what? And I said, what's up? He goes, I can, I can see myself being a developer. And I'm like, oh, really? You don't say. It's like, I think everybody can see themselves being a developer. The question is on whether or not you're willing to work for it and willing to sort of sacrifice right. and make all those mistakes. So. Yeah. Good question on your part. So yeah, we can talk. We can talk about um, you know a project that didn't get across the finish line to kind of, to okay. kind of learn uh, learn about some of the pitfalls that, that we can avoid. Okay, great. I mean, yeah. So I, I guess I could start off with a few projects that didn't make it across the finish line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so before I even dive into that, I, I kind of want to stress that a lot of these projects. Um, especially on the development construction side, takes years, months, lots of hours dedicated to it, um, not just on my end, my side, but also the, the developer or the borrower, the person who's coming to me for that, you mm -hmm. know, to help them with that transaction. So they've spent a lot of money and a lot of time into the project to even, you know, before they could even consider financing, right? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. just the nature of the business. Um, it 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 comes with a certain a certain level of uh, not experience in a way, but yes, experience do do um, play a big role. It comes mm -hmm. with a certain level of effort, right? Let's say mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so. Mm -hmm. if, first off, everyone wants to pay the lowest interest rate. That no matter what <laughs> kind of financing you're doing, that's that's typically the the, the number one question they go to what's the lowest i can get it cheapest i can pay yeah you know cheapest fees you know all of right. that stuff right right so before the deal even comes to a broker typically that bar has already approached the bank or have considered a bank or have sent their file to a bank mm -hmm. and you know that also speaks on how experienced they are as well because we all know well it might not be common knowledge, but 
when you're dealing with construction development projects, unless you have a high, high, high net worth, typically private financing is the way you will get that deal across the, the finish line. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if that's common knowledge. Most, mm-hmm. most uh, may think, you know, you go to the bank, you get a loan, you present your, you know, your business plan, your project, and they'll fund you. Mm. That's true, but the successes with the bank is far lower than the success on the private side, just because of that flexibility that the private financing allows you to, to have, right? Yeah, and you yeah. need flexibility when you're doing construction development projects. You know, a number of things can go wrong that are out of your control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You need that right. flexibility from the, you know, to have sort of not just a lender or, pro- or, or the private financing on your side. What the private private financing sort of hel- helps you with is that is that flexibility, is that understanding where you can kind of have a partner. I mean, and there's times where that that could go south, where somebody may may kind of withdraw their funds. You know, a private lender may withdraw their funds to invest in another project, but right. it's sort of your best bet to have a partner on your side, have somebody that understands somebody that has patient money and somebody that's not going to put you in the box like the bank. The bank's going to right. check some boxes. Exactly. Off and it's like- exactly. And, and if the minute one of those boxes are not being able to check off, that's it. That's it. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's it's true. It. Yeah. That's it. yeah. So um, that, that's usually where projects um, get held up or may fail. Okay. Um, okay. Like you said, when you don't have the lender on your side, right. you know, all of these projects, you need that lending partner. Keyword is a partner. Mm-hmm. You know, they work with you, mm-hmm. they're experienced, mm-hmm. they know what they're talking about. They they can ex- they know what the um the pitfalls are and they can anticipate that and even look at your project and kind of know how close to that pitfall you are. Right. Because right? every every development construction project comes with a huge risk only because the equity is being built up over time as the project gets more and more completed, right? So right. that, you know, you're not having all the, the funds or the, the uh, benefit of having the project completed in the beginning. So you can use, you know, use that equity to your leverage. The equity right. is almost obsolete, mm-hmm. right? You're slowly mm-hmm. building up the equity until you get to, now if you're 90% complete on the project and it goes south, Man, I would love to be that. <laughs> I would love to be that investor where that project goes south at ninety percent because ten percent of the effort to get the full reward. It, it's it's, right. a, it's it's a no brainer. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Right. But to get to that ninety percent takes a lot of effort, yeah. a lot of time, a lot of coordinating. Um, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. And so, yeah. so, so I'm not, I'm not saying that you should shop a deal around because that's, that's not the mm-hmm. way, that's not way, the way to do things, but would you, would you advise that developers that are sort of starting out and they don't have the financial partner yet, they don't have the private financing in place yet, they, they want to, you know, they want to do their first deal or the second deal, the third mm-hmm. deal, would you advise that they increase their network of private lenders or they increase their, 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 their the, the amount of sources that they have for, for private for private financing before they before they even decide on on sort of getting a project off the ground or do you think that they should just have because you know they don't want to you don't want to scramble right let's say that the the financing for whatever reason doesn't come through or something happens mm-hmm. or the private lender pulls out 
what do you advise that they do in order to avoid that pitfall? Um, the best advice I can give or say would be to have a, a asset that you can uh, use as net worth, right? Whether that's cash in the bank, uh, investments, mm-hmm. a piece of land that's worth you know 500k, mm-hmm. um, some residential properties, maybe some rentals. The best thing you can do is have assets um, to help make make you look more credit worthy mm-hmm. to the lender, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. like I said, these projects are high risk, lots of lots of um, you know risk involved, and one way to mitigate that risk is to have assets, right? So you know, something goes wrong, you need, you need a quick insert of, let's say, 100K, mm-hmm. you can take it out from your property. You can, you can cash out your investment and, and make up that 100K. And that's usually where investors go wrong. They stretch themselves thin as far as what they're bringing to the table. You know, they're, they're putting everything on, on the table, but it's still not enough mm-hmm. to, to make the deal enticing enough for that lender. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Even the bank, the banks will probably ask for a bigger net worth than than the lender, because, of course, the lender depends on who they are. They're not scared to take possession of the property. Okay. Right. And, okay. and you, you, you have to be able to do that. Most lenders are not in the business of owning properties. They're in the business of making money. Right. But if they need to, you know, they can do that and, and right. they can they can analyze your deal to to figure out if if it's worth it if they have to go down that road right no no right. lender wants to go down that road but that's part of their risk analysis as well is to make sure that if things go wrong go south what's their exit strategy right, right. your, your right. exit strategy is going to save you every time um, when you're submitting a deal and, and as a lender you know how are you going to get out of that deal gotcha yeah yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I agree. I agree with you. Could you highlight some of the projects that I don't want to say went south because it's it's very negative, but some of the projects that you know didn't make it across the finish line? Um. Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, what most don't realize about development projects, and it's probably the most overlooked thing, is the location. That mm. that plays more of a role than I I say that takes at least 50% of the project. Where is it located? Because your location will determine how well that project goes after it's completed. You know, and when you say and when you say 50% of the project, you're talking mm-hmm. about 50% of the chance that it's going to be successful. It increases your chance. Successfully of approved. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because it, it goes along with your exit strategy. Like Right. Okay, so this project is located uh, close to, you know, this town that has a lot right. of main attractions. Um, let's say Collinwood, for instance. Uh, maybe, you know, viewers outside of Canada don't know where Collinwood is, but let's let's right. take Collinwood for example. So Collinwood is sort of a resort town, like it has a lot of amenities, a lot of yeah. you know things surrounding it. So a development project in Collinwood would most likely be able to get to the finish line um, because those projects are typically for, you know, that type of end user, people who are coming to look for rental or do short term. So yeah, the location plays a, a, a main 
an important aspect because that's the first thing the lender looks at, to be honest. Okay. They look at the location. They look at your exit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They look at exactly what the project is, and then they consider mm -hmm. everything else. Yeah. You know, like yeah. your net worth and your you as a as a borrower. Right. So the location considered will get last. You, right. The location will get you in through the door. Is what you is what you're through saying through the door. Correct. Yeah. So I'm glad that you brought up Collingwood and other like tertiary markets that. But I mean, Collingwood is sort of um, it's sort of it's a, it's a ski resort town, right? Where a lot a of ski people resort, go there. Exactly. Yeah, they, a lot of people go there because they go snowboarding and skiing on, on at Blue Mountain. The reason why I'm glad you brought that up is because let's say a developer would have a project in in Toronto or let's say in mm -hmm. Mississauga. So Mississauga is a secondary market. Toronto is a primary market. Primary, in right. Downtown, anywhere, anywhere in and around Toronto, any 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 lender would have been like, yeah, done. Like as long as the area code is 416 or 647, you know, they like it. They, <laughs> they, they're like, yeah, we want to learn more about it. They'll, they'll, they'll respond to you. They'll, they'll answer your call, so to say. But yeah. after COVID, you know, it's, uh, after after COVID, like all of these secondary and tertiary markets all of a sudden became extremely attractive because now people don't need to live downtown. People don't need to commute downtown. And we're seeing that impact happening across the board all over North America. Like look at, for example, the exodus that's happening in California. California was right. a hotspot. Everybody wanted to be in LA and I'm not, I'm not bad mouthing LA in any way, but all of a sudden now everybody's migrating outside of Los Angeles, outside of California, the move to Texas. Right. And now Texas has been a lot more attractive and they're experiencing something, the same thing that we're experiencing here. I recently looked at, a, looked at an article that was talking about the appreciation or it was talking about the value of real estate and hyperbubble that we're, that we're in right now. Toronto and Vancouver are overpriced by 29%. So there needs to be a 29% correction in order for the housing prices to go back to market rate. Whereas Montreal is only 1%. So it's, it's, it's not really that bad. So it's not like people are leaving Toronto and they're in order to go uh, migrate over to Montreal. They're not, they're just migrating towards, uh, towards smaller, yeah, towards smaller towns, maybe an hour and a half, two hours. I live an hour and a half, about an hour and a half, an hour 15 from Toronto, and when I was here, and when I when I when I uh, when I first moved here, people were slowly coming here. They were sort of moving here because it was growing slowly. The city was growing slowly, but after COVID, my city is just the 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 homes in my city are just as much and the as the homes that are half an hour, twenty minutes, or half an hour from Toronto. Which doesn't really make sense, but when you think about the fact that people are people don't need to commute anymore, then that then then you know that comes into play, and you sort of understand. And, like, and, yeah, and that, that's anywhere. exactly it. That that's exactly it. Um, in in the GTA, the traffic is terrible. Going down to four hundred one, most cities outside of Toronto yeah. has to take the four hundred one to get into the city. Yeah. And for those, so that for those commute that was know, a nightmare. Yeah, and what I want to say for those that don't know, the GTA is the Greater Toronto area, sort of like the Greater Los Angeles area. That's it. that includes every surrounding city outside of LA or outside of Toronto. Yeah, yeah, and and a lot of reasons why people didn't like the idea of living outside of Toronto is because just because that commute to work was just so long. You know, yeah. if you live 
if you live in, in Kitchener, Waterloo, where you are, believe me, that hour and 15 minutes going to work will more so be like two, two and a half, three hours. Yeah, I've done it. Commute. I've done it. Yeah, I've done it. You I know? have songs to listen to on my right. I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't and do this and anymore. that's the scary thought. You know, you spend three hours commuting one way to work and then another three hours going home. What, what, what kind of hours does that leave you for, you know, your life? Yeah, true. You know? And so, yeah, and so taking, taking COVID into, into account and kind of, kind of circling back to lenders, lenders approving a project based on the location, right. they, they've, they've, sort of, they've sort of changed, changed their strategy. You know, now I know um, projects... I yeah. yeah, or, or ahead, they sorry. did it, or they did it. The lenders they were like, would how say are they, they looking at it? They they haven't changed their strategy. They're just expanding their their uh, their lending zone based oh, okay. on the migration of that city, right? Okay. So, so for instance, um, you know, they're going to rural areas like Woodstock. Now, Woodstock right. is is very popular. Um, mm -hmm. London has mm -hmm. been popular, but London is like. So there's the GTA, then there's KWC, and then there's London as the third largest, let's say, um, community area where people typically right. migrated to. Right. Now they're going everywhere. They're going to Barrie, they're going out, out east to mm -hmm. Kingston and Belleville, mm -hmm. um, those sort of places. The cottage country right now is yeah. just is blowing up. Yeah, one of the, it's, it's absolutely blowing up. It's crazy. There's, you know, um, there is a, a cottage, there's a, there's a city, uh, there's a cottage city or a cottage town, call it, um, that's about three hours north of Toronto, Muskoka. And okay. I know, I know a developer who is building condominiums in Muskoka and they're, they're starting at 600,000. And wow. just like you said, he's going to need private financing. Um, but the private financing, you know, it's still coming in. People are still interested in financing. And not only that, he has pre-sold about 20% to 30% of the units already. And so it kind of okay. it kind of it kind of goes to show that there's a lot of confidence on, on these tertiary markets that aren't that aren't Toronto, that aren't primary markets. And, and that wasn't there pre-COVID. Now pre-COVID, no. it, it was really hard to to even get a lender to look at a deal like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. where where now it's like they they'll consider it. Yeah, for sure. So are you, so are, how are you, how are you sort of predicting? I know you can't predict it. If economists predicted everything correct, it'd be the highest paid profession, but so, <laughs> so no pressure on you, you know, using your, right. your hypothetical crystal ball, but where are you predicting, you know, uh, financing is in what direction do you think financing is going? Do you think that we're going to keep seeing a lot of, a lot, a lot of comfort from lenders lending on projects? on projects outside of the um, primary markets or do you think it's going to cool down a little bit like what do you think is going to be the catalyst that's going to like tell lenders wait hold on a second um maybe maybe we shouldn't be lending there because i'll, I'll give you an example people offices are opening again everybody's got the vaccine everybody's moving back to the city if they if that happens but what do you think is going right. to be something that's going to tell lenders to kind of like you know pump the brakes exactly when that happens when everyone starts to shift back to the office environment it, it's going to change where people want to be right because okay the number one thing that drives the economy is jobs right and if you don't have job you're not able to buy groceries pay your mortgage you know those sort of things so right 
if you move to let's say an outer city, uh, Woodstock, London, mm-hmm. which you would normally in Toronto, mm-hmm. your job may have said, okay, yeah, you can work from home for the next year or two or the next unforeseen future. And like you said, everyone gets vaccinated, the door starts opening, the office starts opening. Now they right. want you back in the office so they can micromanage right. you like most companies like to do, right? When that happens, that's when we're going to see a shift, yep. not necessarily in the GTA or the main cities. We're going to see shift in those outer cities where, you know, right. you paid 500K for a home, mm-hmm. you know, two, three years ago, and you're looking to move back to Toronto and you're expecting to sell it for the appreciated value of maybe six, 700K. Right, right. You'd be surprised if you sell it for less than what you bought it for two years right. ago. Right, mm, that's, you know, that's and, scary. And, and that's where I think a lot of people are going to be hit hard is when that starts to happen, when those cities are no longer cities that people are looking to move to. A lot of Canadians have migrated out of the city, mm-hmm. but once the immigration um, borders start opening back and those right. immigrants start filling the spots in the city now, you know, everyone's going to have that that FOMO, fear of missing out kind of thing coming right. back like wow i used to live downtown toronto not let's face it toronto is a desirable it's probably now other than i'm i'm not i can't even call any other city it's probably one of the most desirable cities to be in right now mm-hmm. everyone wants mm-hmm. to move to toronto everyone wants to live in toronto it's it's easy to find jobs if you have um you know if you have the skill set and the uh degrees it's very easy to find jobs in mm-hmm. toronto because there's so many companies in Toronto, you know, tech mm-hmm. companies, um, finance yeah, companies. Yeah. Uh, Aside from developers choosing the right location, what mm-hmm. what would be one of the things or one of, you know, the end all be all of advices that you can give to A, developers that are starting out and B, developers that have the experience. What would, what, what could help them secure that financing and make and, and, and make the financing component or, or financing a project, um, you know, smooth sailing. Just having everything together, you know, you've, you've analyzed the, the deal mm-hmm. yourself as a borrower, mm-hmm. you know, coming into the space, you have to have some sort of experience on what you're doing, you know, no, no lender, no matter the net worth, the, the other thing they look at is your experience in that space of what you're trying to do. Um, that plays experience, a big role. Experience in that space of that specific asset class. We're talking about high rise townhouses. Right. Correct. So if, if, you're, right. if you're looking, if you're looking to develop a subdivision, you know, other than the location, okay, great. It's located in Toronto. Right. The next yeah. question is yeah. what experience does this borrower or the builder mm-hmm. have with this type of project, because mm-hmm. that's key on the success of the build yeah. itself. How do we circumvent right? the experience? Let's say somebody has a net worth, right? They made a, you know, they made money because people come from different walks of life, right? So mm-hmm. I know uh, I had interviewed, I had interviewed another guest that sort of represented represented family offices, and he he's the partner for family offices. He's a development partner. So you know, a family office or a group of investors can come in here and say, you know what? Real estate is a great way to preserve your wealth. It's not as volatile as the stock market. It's definitely not as volatile as cryptocurrency. And so we want to park some money in real estate, but we don't have the experience. Now, 
doesn't mean they're disqualified. So how can they circumvent the experience component? Yeah, excellent question. So my advice would be to, to network and team up with someone who does have the experience. Right. Because right? Right. when you're doing these type of projects, a lot of times it's the collective experience that matters um, you know, versus the individual experience. Now, when it comes to the builder themselves, mm -hmm. they need to have experience, right? So if you are funding the deal, the project, let's say you're, you're, you're funding the soft costs, you're, you have a company that's putting up the uh, network to support the project, mm -hmm. your best option is to team up with a developer who has um, good experience, has a good track record and, you know, to build a relationship with them so you can get, you know, not, not only to get the project across the finish line, but you also want to get good pricing from that builder developer, right? right. You, you want them to be able to get you the good contractors at, at, at decent prices, materials at, at good prices. Decent you know, prices is is definitely important. Yeah, I, I mean, especially I, now in COVID, it, it. Yeah. I mean, the price of everything has gone up. Materials have gone up. Labor has gone up, especially in that um, sector with contractors. Yeah, you need to transport uh, lumber in a Brinks truck or in, a, in <laughs> or in a, with a military with a, with an army behind you. You know what I mean? All right. So, you got to safeguard it. You may you may get raiders to come. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a hot commodity, man. It's definitely a yeah. hot commodity. Everybody, lumber is expensive. So okay, um, that's that, that's a great that's great advice. Um, you know, you definitely need somebody that knows what they're doing and knows. Uh, you know, knows what they're looking at uh, right right off the bat. I have our development partner, or sorry, I should say our building partner out in Los Angeles. I I've sent him, I've I've sent him the construction budgets, and time and time again, he said, "Gary, forget it." That that's really it. He just, he just look at it. He's like, "Forget it. You're not you're not going to build this with the numbers that you think you're going to build it with." And he's been right. A couple of those deals that uh, that came across my desk and uh, and uh, that I've shared with them are still on the market, <laughs> you know, are still, they're still on the market. They're not, they're not sold. Yeah. And, and so you definitely need somebody that has the experience that's done it time and time again, in particular, that asset class. And to that point, you will know if you have a good project on your hand, if you have lenders basically throwing their money at you, mm -hmm. you will right. know it's a good project, right. right? Right. Every good project out there, trust me, there's a uh, there's a lender that wants to land on that product. That's how they make mm -hmm. their money. Mm -hmm. They're in that space. They're looking for deals. They're looking for clients right. to land on. So, if your file came across their desk, or your project came across their desk, mm -hmm. and one they delayed to respond to you, or two, you don't get a response at all. They don't respond. That yeah. that's a clear indication that maybe you need to go back to the drawing board. Something mm -hmm. is off. Your right. numbers are off. Your your partners don't have enough experience. Right. You know, maybe maybe the uh, budget yeah. isn't you know done correctly. Yeah, which is so. a blessing in disguise, right? Because you'd hope that you, there's you know the lender doesn't take that deal because you said yeah you know you you made a you made a good point. Lenders aren't in the business of um, acquiring property and owning property. But some are, you know, there's some private private lenders yeah. out there that are vertically integrated who, where they see opportunities and they've already developed those relationships from because they've been in the industry for years. And it's a lot easier for them to very easy for them to pick up the phone and be like, hey, listen, 
this deal might be going south. I'm, I'm gonna need a developer and a builder on this project to kind of get it done. Um, so it could go either way, but I agree with you. It's a blessing in disguise if the lender doesn't want to lend on it and you should take it with a grain of salt. And hopefully you're not working with a lender that will try to take your deal because those are predatorial <laughs> lenders that you don't 100%. want to work with, right? Because nine times out of 10, they, they want you to fail on the project. Right. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Like to your point, some of them do lend because they know you're going to fail. They mm. won't give you enough funds that you need. And when you go back to the table to get more funds, that's when you get into trouble. You know, they'll give you right. all the excuse why they can't increase the loan, why they can't do anything else. And then it's up mm -hmm. to you now to either one, find your own mm -hmm. financing or, or put the project at more risk by possibly going to get a second mortgage at that point, which is right. extremely hard to do when you're in the middle of a development project. You know, you have to be a certain percentage complete for that to mm -hmm. possibly happen, maybe like What's the you know, percentage? You're 90, What's... maybe you're at that 90%. Okay. The lender okay. will po possibly take a risk just to help you get to that finish yeah. line, right? They see right. You, you've carried most of the weight, you've done most mm -hmm. of the work, mm -hmm. you know, you just need a little bit of help getting to the finish line. Yeah. Then it's possibly worth getting a second mortgage because when you get that second mortgage, now you're gonna be at a certain, your loan to value will increase, mm -hmm. which means the risk of the project increases as well right right yeah right. i agree i agree with you 100 percent. so moving forward what what's uh what's your goal in the commercial finance space what do you what do you got uh in um, your my really so what i have in my sites right now is to to um build my own construction company okay okay uh, my own finance, private lending kind of yeah. um, space. I want to be in that space as well. And um, I also want to be in the, believe it or not, the development phase, but that's okay. later on in life. That That's yeah. once, you know, the, the assets are acquired and, yeah. you know, because these projects take years, you know, like you said yeah. to your point yeah. earlier, yeah. what are you doing in between to make money, right? You, you can't just... Mm -hmm jump into being a developer and think you're going to come become rich over the next two, you three, four, five cushion. years. You need a cash you know? cushion. You do. You got to keep the lights on for sure. Right. But that's, that's very exciting. That's really, really exciting. And I have no doubt in my mind that, you know, you'll, uh, you'll, 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 you'll build a successful development company. You already have the resources to do so. Yeah. So really um, my plan is to start on a, on a smaller scale, as far as the, mm -hmm. the uh, development company, mm -hmm. um, you know, start with residential, um, mm -hmm. you know, possibly do a couple of duplex, triplex, you know, buy some mm -hmm. land, mm -hmm. build up, um, some rental on those properties. Um, you know, start that way. It, those are easier projects to handle once you've done, you know, five, 10, 20 of them that it is just, the rest becomes easy because now you, instead of going from like four pro four, let's say single family, <laughs> You just scale that up. Now you're doing a, a 20 apartment high rise or, or mid rise, you know, right. and, and you're taking on a little bit more risk, but the concept is still there, right? You, you still have to follow the same steps. It's just right. now you're dealing with a bigger number and a yeah, little bit more risk. For sure. Yeah, for a little right. bit more risk. Yeah, a, a little bit more, more risk. risk. And, yeah. and knowing your markets too and what you can and can't do in those markets mm -hmm. is key. 
You know, you can't go to an area that you've never been to. You don't know the demographics or at least haven't done your research on the demographics to see whether or not your, your completed project will be a success. Right. And to your point earlier, you can get all the way to close to the finish line and still go bankrupt because you didn't anticipate that exit strategy, which is key for most of these development. Like, do you have your buyers that are going to be buying up the units? Right. You know, how many have you sold? What, right. How long did it take you to sell that? Well, is there any buzz around your project? You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you you drive down downtown Toronto, you see a high rise going up. There's one office and a piece of land and a long line because everyone wants to live in that, you know, that high rise. They know the yeah, value yeah. of living there. So, right. you know, that that right. demographics will support your project because, you know, it, it fits within that uh, that area. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Well, Mike, I have no doubt that you know you're gonna you're gonna be successful in your future endeavors. Uh, you definitely have the resources to kind of tap into. I think uh, a lot of people that you know are a phone call away, um, and yep. you traded your nine to five for a nine to nine, and you traded forty <laughs> hours a week yeah. for eighty hours a week. Eighty hours a week. Uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, let that be a testament to all. Yeah, let that be a testament. I wouldn't have to it all. any other way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let it be a testament to all the listeners and all your clients that you're definitely, definitely committed and determined. With that said, tell everybody where they can find you online. Uh, don't give your phone. <laughs> I know I had somebody <laughs> trying to give their phone number. I'm like, hey, if you want any peace of mind, don't definitely don't give right. your phone number. I mean, if you're looking for any kind of project to finance, um, you know, small, residential, all the way up to a development commercial project uh you know just reach out to me i'm on google you can find me on google mortgage or mike there you uh, go. Nice. I, I share the same space on facebook and instagram twitter okay. yeah nice. uh, linkedin as nice. well so all the platforms you just if if you type mortgage or mike and you get someone else other than this handsome face just put in <laughs> mortgage or mike toronto yeah, some imagine some other Mike shows up that looks like you. It's like, no, that's not that's not me. <laughs> we'll definitely include it in the show notes, yeah. Mike. Um, again, okay. I'm really excited to hear about your endeavors and I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Gary. It's a pleasure. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. Take it easy. See you next time. Bye. Later.